Welcome to another episode of the Man in the Arena podcast. Today, I have right-handed pitcher Nick Davis joining us. Um, Nick is a grad student at Northeastern University, and we're going to go through Nick's high school career, his Northeastern career, and then his future plans. So this was going to be an exciting episode, and I'll let Nick introduce himself. Hey guys, so Nick Davis. Uh, as Jordy said, I'm a fifth year redshirt senior at Northeastern University. Um, because of Northeastern's, you know, weird program, I'm actually still technically in my undergraduate degree here. Um, but yeah. So Nick has actually been one of the kids that I have been friends with since pretty much day one of coming to Northeastern. Um, when I transferred in from Babson. I remember the first day at fall practice uh, going out into left field and shagging and Nick and I had conversations about pitching and life in general and um, we, we've pretty much done everything together since lifting, uh, walking to Walmart, just everything even on the road so um, he's a day one for sure and uh, we'll get this started so Nick I just we really have never talked about your high school journey and, and how that went um, so I just want to ask you if you could tell us about you know where baseball started for you even if you want to go back before high school if you want to go to to little league or, or wherever it started for you if you could just bring us through um up to high school yeah so i mean coming out of like middle school and stuff like before high school i'd always been a pretty dominant baseball player knew that that was the the sport that i think i wanted to pursue through high school and after um getting into high school i think the biggest thing that was a setback for me was i just wasn't as good as a hitter as i thought i would have been um, definitely did better as a pitcher, but everyone wants to hit a lot, and it's kind of hard to realize that that's not what's going to be the thing that you um, excel at. Um, throughout high school, I did, I did pretty well. We were a, a pretty in a prep league in California that was a pretty low division, so it wasn't playing any um, insanely good competition, but I, I still held my own, batted about you know 300 at the varsity level and uh, pitched a decent amount of innings. Um but yeah, high school was definitely a weird time for me, just where I was I was good, but I was never insanely dominant where I was going to be some, you know, D1 prospect coming out. I didn't get many looks, so um, that's what led me to my unique path in Northeastern, which I'm sure we'll talk about more here. Yeah, um, I... I don't think I've ever asked you, but how how big was your high school that you went to? Like how many how many kids? Yeah, we were in the high, my high school was seventh through twelfth, where high school starts in ninth grade. Um, for the high school itself, it was four hundred kids total, so there were a hundred kids in each class. So uh, relatively small comparatively to like a lot of other schools in the area. Yeah, that's actually crazy because I mean we're from totally different sides of the country. I'm from Vermont. You're from Cali. If if those who don't know, but um, I, when I I actually didn't know that you had that small of a school. I thought you went to a to a bigger school and i think i mean in vermont we only had like 400 kids we had a bunch of different towns combined but that's a very similar size school to, to me so that's to me that's a, a tiny school in, in california um did you like did you know that you were going to be a d1 baseball player when you were in high school or or was that kind of a reach for you like how did how did that dream come about and when did you know like this is something i could possibly do yeah i mean so just to give also some background i come from a family that's always been full of baseball players my dad played uh, division one baseball at stanford and then pro uh, had an uncle that played professionally with the dodgers won the world series and another uncle that played some minor league with the astros i believe so baseball has just always been there for me um I think in high school originally, I always had this D1 or bust mindset where I just, that's all that any any kid really thinks about. That's all that you really see on social media and on TV. 
But as I started progressing through high school more, I think I had gone to a D3 baseball game and just saw that um, that's when I kind of realized that like baseball is baseball and it really comes down to it. And I, no matter what happens, like I want to keep playing after after high school. Um, so D1 baseball was always the goal, but um, really what it came down to is I wanted to play. Um, I remember in my senior year, I went to a camp at Claremont McKenna, which is a great school in SoCal, about 30 minutes from my house in Pasadena. Um, and then out at that point I was, wasn't really getting any serious looks, but I was like, this is a great school. Um, I definitely could still get a lot of work in and develop. And I was like, if I'm playing D3, I'm playing D3. I just want to play. Yeah. I, I think I had the same mindset in high school. Like when I was coming up, I definitely thought that I wanted to be D1. And when those offers didn't come in, I mean, first off, just similar to you, I thought I was going to be a fielder. Like I didn't, I didn't think I was going to be a pitcher whenever, um, you know, people ask me what position I played. I, I played short, so that's what I would tell them. And I always thought I was going to be a hitter in, in college. And when D one looks, when T one's team, when D one teams were not giving me looks, that was like a a big like understanding for me to know that this might not be might not be my path. And um, I mean, obviously, I started off at a D two, and then went to a D three. But especially in California, like those those teams, Chapman, Occidental. Um, there's a bunch of D2 teams in California too that are good, but uh, D1 isn't always what's going to suit everybody. Like you got to find the spot and the school that you want to go to outside of baseball and inside of baseball. Like that's at the D2 level for me. I found a spot that I like baseball wise and not academically wise. And that, that is part of why I, I transferred. Um, can you talk about your travel baseball experience? I don't know if you played any travel ball, like summer ball, but um, did that come into the into the conversation when recruiting took place and and who did you play for? Yeah, um, honestly, travel ball was pretty minimal for me throughout high school. Um, I think that if anything, that was something that might have set me back in terms of recruiting, where I wasn't really um, on any of these travel ball circuits or you know playing in front of college coaches a lot until really before my senior year. Um, I was a three sport athlete all through high school, baseball, basketball, and football. So. As soon as baseball season ended, it was pretty much getting ready to start football workouts. And, you know, we had hell week and all that type of stuff. Um, so while I, I, I was really proud of the fact that I was a multi-sport athlete, I think um, one of my regrets through from high school is that I wish I'd been able to maybe set a, maybe not play three sports so that I was able to dedicate a little more time just to baseball in terms of training and playing travel ball and some of that recruiting type process stuff. And, yeah, I have one of the things that I wrote down was, QB won. Uh, I, well, I've seen you throw, and you. I think you won the competition when we played at Delaware last year. Yeah. Um, so how did playing basketball – and you also won in uh, some horse today at Gold's Gym mm -hmm. in basketball. So well-rounded athlete. But what are – like, could you, ha could you tell a difference or – can you tell a difference now not playing three sports? Like when you were in high school playing three sports, did you feel more athletic? And do you think that that helped, you know, have a base for your, for your pitching? I think it definitely created some degree of a base and just also having confidence. Cause like ultimately to succeed in any sport, you just have to be able to be an athlete. Um, so hi, playing three sports in high school definitely created some level of athleticism and just like confidence in me that I could do whatever I wanted to do. Um, but I also think at the same time that it's important to be able to, if you want us to strive in one specific sport, to have some degree of specialization. Um, my high school basketball career was not unique, but I just didn't get along great with my coach. Um, in my senior year, I don't think that I really 
um, was playing for the right reasons. I was just playing on varsity just because I think I wanted to build a you know dunk at a home game and enjoy those big those big crowded uh, games when um, I really wasn't enjoying my coach and the time that I was playing in a lot of those games. I did well, you know. I um, finished first team all league. Was you know our second score like first leading rebounder, but. I don't think mentally I, w- I was there for the right reasons. And when I look back on it, that could have been a great time for me personally to step aside and get in the weight room or put more time into baseball where I could be ahead of where I even am at today. So um, I think it's an individualized process, but that's why I look back on that to me. Yeah, that's fair. I definitely um, I, I kind of had the same thing. I played soccer and hockey in high school and hockey I loved, but soccer was something that I definitely could have um, stepped away from I was a goalie so I didn't really do much anyways but um, I, I definitely think that even if you're not going to play three sports like playing two sports can can definitely help with the athletic base and um, help you not only physically but mentally as well because there's going to be situations in any sport that you need to overcome failure or adversity and things along those lines um, can we get into your recruiting process I know you were talking about that you weren't heavily recruited and you thought d3 might even be an option so can we talk about how you got to northeastern or how you went about um getting in touch with coach glav and and then how those things unfolded to get you to boston yeah so um when it really came down to it i'd gone to a bunch of different you know mostly pay-to-play camps getting in front of coaches i did um decently well but most schools just saw that i was just a pretty skinny i think i was six three at the time just like underdeveloped guy that most schools weren't really wanting to take a a risk on or give like a true offer um so by the time that i was midway through my senior year i was it was clear to me at the point that i was gonna have to walk on whatever school i ended up going to um i had gone to northeastern on a college trip with my mom just viewing schools on the east coast and really fell in love with what they had to offer academically with the co-op program and undergraduate business programs and things like that so once i got admitted to the school i just emailed uh, i think it was coach call our pitching coach and just said hey you know i'm looking to play here um and they were very upfront with me saying we're fully recruited right now but you can have a tryout in the fall so that that's what i knew i was going to do um came on in the fall through a bullpen i think it was like the second week of the fall and uh been on the team ever since and i'm sure we'll talk more details about it yeah well i mean i knew that you didn't have have a specific spot um or, or you had to pretty much walk on right you, yeah it's a walk-on thing so um I just was like curious on whether you developed that self-belief because you're betting on yourself. Like you're, you're coming to Northeastern. Obviously you liked, it made it easier that you liked the academic side of it, but was there like added, like added fuel for you to, to make that team because you had chose to come to Northeastern or to participate in the baseball team or like was the self-confidence there before or did you gain it throughout the success that you had in the fall? Yeah, um, it was a, absolutely a risk that I took. Um, when it came down to my ultimate call decision, I was either going to go to UC Santa Barbara or Northeastern, um, both two good schools. But um, while I can tell people all I want that it was just about the co-op program and academics, when it really came down to it is baseball. Um, UC Santa Barbara is a great program. Um, Northeastern's a great program now, and I've seen it develop a lot. But at the time, when I was looking up, you know, videos of these two teams i see guys on this team that i saw a friday guy top in 86 and i'm like okay i think i have a better (laughs) i have a better shot at walking onto this team i might i might want to get an opportunity to get in there and develop um so i came to northeastern to play baseball 
um, when it really comes down to it. I had I had no no offer no there was no priority walk on I just had a tryout opportunity um, and, and it was definitely a risk that I took but I, I had to have confidence about to do it and it ended up working out for me so yeah yeah um, and then we'll go off the baseball track for a little bit uh, I just wanted to want I just wanted to pick your mind on how you think like New England and Boston is different than Cali um, and if you see any comparisons because I personally have never been to the west coast and i just wondered wondered how it was different and and if you like it like what you would change and things along those lines yeah i mean obviously the biggest difference and adjustment for me was just the weather um obviously california is usually going to be way hotter like right now it's at the coldest like low 50s where you know it gets down to freezing temps and snowing um we get snow in northern california but i'm from los angeles so pretty sunny weather all the time um, that's obviously the biggest difference being in LA. I am used to somewhat of like a city lifestyle, which I think, um, we get a lot of being right in the middle of Boston on Northeastern's campus. Um, but I think that LA still is a little more fast paced than what Boston is. And I think that, um, I do prefer it still to, the, to Boston and just the lifestyle here. Um, it's also unique just because as college students, we don't, I don't travel as much. I don't have a car. I don't drive. So I think that my lifestyle is hard to compare just to where I'm at home and in a more, um, comfortable environment that I've always been in. Yeah. Well, we'll go back kind of to the baseball stuff now. And I don't know, you might have to tell me a little bit more in detail. I know that you injured your knee and I know you injured your knee actually recently, like this year. Um, but was it sophomore year that you injured it like your your red shirt sophomore year yeah it would have been my so my true junior year red shirt sophomore year so the 2021 um it was i think the actual date that i like definitely tore it it was my lateral meniscus of my right knee um i was i'd i'd been dealing with what felt like like my knee felt almost tight it was like a very weird feeling to describe like the, the, the two weeks prior went to the doctor did an x-ray they said nothing was wrong and it, it just felt kind of off to me and then one day it started hurting more and more um decided i still wanted to try to do some like max intent like flat ground throwing and then i felt just like a pretty big pop on the right um got an mri and it was a torn meniscus so uh flew back to boston um and had surgery on january 21st of 2021 um, and was luckily when you do a meniscus scope, it's a, uh, a pretty quick turnaround. Um, so I was lucky rather than, a, a when they do a stitch and try to repair it, that's like three to six months as opposed to what I'd say is six weeks where you're fully back. So I was still able to play that season. Um, so I got lucky. Yeah, no, um, that's, I mean, that's something that knock on wood, I've never really had to, had to deal with. So that, and, and as the people who are listening to this know I've talked a little bit about that I'm I'm recovering from a minor injury um but I just wanted to pick your brain on like your your I I know your your physical recovery tips you're you're getting me to get or you were trying to get me to take the uh I don't know what it's called I I'm kind of being stubborn about it because I know it will help me um but what are your like mental tips that you'd say for recovering because because you also this year I think it was it was a minor surgery. Yeah, it was it was actually the exact same thing. So yeah. doing uh, I was doing some sissy squats, felt a pop. Yep. Um, I don't think it was as bad of a tear, but it was another lateral meniscus tear, but on the left knee this time. Um, and I think because of the fact that I'd been through that surgery and process before, I was able to bounce back even faster because I had surgery on 
I want to say it was December 11th and by January 9th, I was throwing on the mound again. Like I was throwing like max and 10 bullpens. Yeah. yeah You're sending me videos and it was, it literally looked like nothing, ha- like nothing had happened. It was like within two or three weeks. Yeah. It was nuts. But, um, so how like mentally do you take those setbacks and, and it looks like you've used those setbacks to just improve like you you use the setbacks and the time you have to find a way to get better somehow even if you can't be on the mound can you talk a little bit about yeah that? um well the first thing that just going through the kind of the mental roller coaster of when you're dealing with an injury and surgery the first thing is obviously got like you want to play um and when i found out that my left knee was it was a torn meniscus the the primary physician not the surgeon thought that it might need to be a repair which and which would have meant that i would have missed the season because i would have been out three to six months um, the knee is an extremely low blood flow area. So when they put stitches into like inside your knee to repair like a, um, a torn ligament or things like that, it takes, it takes a really long time to heal. Um, I almost cried on the spot there. Cause this is my, you know, my fifth year, final year at Northeastern and I want to be able to play. It would, it, it would have potentially ruined my future as we'll, we'll talk about more in a bit. Um, but so that, that's always a roller coaster. Luckily when I met with my surgeon, the surgeon who was going to do it, Dr. Asnes, he actually is a great surgeon, does a lot of the knee surgeries for the Red Sox. He told me that it was just going to be a, a standard uh, meniscectomy or a scope, which is what I, I had originally expected. So that's why it was only about a you know, four to five week bounce back for me. Um, but the biggest thing in terms of the actual rehab process and post-surgery thing is, is being patient. You know, the, I remember the day after surgery, um, my knee felt better than the day before where I, it felt amazing and I was walking around and it just doing everything. Um, but then the day after that, that's when it started to feel really bad, it started to swell up on me again, just because that's, you know, typical post-surgery, post-operation things. Um, so being patient with the process because the rehab process is not linear. It's going to be exponential or it, it yeah, exponential where things are going to start really slow. But as you get into that, like second and third week, things ramp up really fast where you start to see like rapid recovery rates and your swelling starts going down. You get mobility back a lot faster. So as long as you start things off really slow and stay off your feet and slowly work back into it, like you're going to be back on your feet a lot faster than if you try to just jump back into doing things really, really fast. Yeah. Okay. And we'll stay on the kind of the mental aspect of, um, baseball recovery, but, I just want to talk about your mindset on the mound because you've obviously had had failures um, being a walk on, and then um, I'm not sure you can talk a little bit about your your role before I got here. Um, but as far as when I've been here, you were a, a like a, a bridge guy, a, a long reliever out of the pen last year, and you had your ups and you had your downs, and it, it just seemed like you you reached your your peak at the end of the season, like you, you hit your stride right when we needed you. Um, like the, the biggest thing that I remember is, Oh, I remember two things. One, you had your first start at UConn and it didn't go as you wanted it to, but it didn't affect you as from an outside perspective, didn't look like it affected you that much. And when we needed you in the conference tournament, was it three or four innings out of the pen? Um, yeah, something like that against, was it, Charleston or Hofstra? Or? I think, I think both would have been against Hofstra actually, if I remember yeah. correctly. So yeah. I mean, that's like again the biggest innings of the year. You've had struggles, and then you find a way to just give your team exactly what it needs. So, can you talk about your your mental your mindset on the mound and and 
how you recover from failure and adversity? Yeah, um, especially just looking back at last year. Um, you know, I, I'd come off what I was, a, I was a really good winner. Um, I'd been dominating hitters in that, and I definitely knew the coaches trusted me a lot. I came out, I think I was second man out of the bullpen on a, on our in our week opening weekend against Monmouth. Um, came in, bases loaded, no outs, and continued to just walk the house, gave up hits. Um, it, was, it was a terrible outing, didn't get out of the inning. Um, so I came out. Um, and from that point on, it was just like re-earning the coach's trust, showing them like it was never for me. I know it's part of the process. You know, we always know we want to throw strikes and you're not always going to execute stuff, but I'm always going to have the confidence that I'm going to bounce back. But, you know, the people watching you and evaluating your performance, the coaches may not think that way. So you always have to have a chip on your shoulder and want to prove to them saying like, you know, I'm, I'm still that guy. I can still do this. So from that point on, I still had to work my way back. I had to, um, you know, the outings, I got a couple less outings in the beginning of the year because of that, because I sort of showed them again that, you know, I can simply throw strikes. Um, but I slowly worked my way back into the rotation and kept having good outings and eventually started building on that where I was getting consistent um, outings in high leverage situations. And then, like you said, it rolled into the end of the year where I was getting back-to-back days on, a, like, no rest, but um, still competing and getting guys out. And and to go along along those lines of... Um, just being confident and and like hang, letting your shit hang on the mound. Like you're you're a swaggy guy. You you have swag when you're on the mound, and and it, you can see the confidence. Like you can you can feel it. You can see it, and that's not you just celebrating. But when you're in the groove, even watching you last week at UCF, like every pitch, I know that you're confident. I know that you even on the balls, like you were shaking your head. Like I can sense that energy from you that, you know, you're going to do what you know how to do. And I just want to talk about like the energy that you bring to the mound. And if there's a time that you don't use the self-talk, cause I know that you like use your energy when you have a big strikeout, for instance, Nick came in, I think it was man on first and second and it was tie game or we were winning we were winning by one against usf yeah it was seven to five uh one out runners on first and second in the eighth yeah bottom of the eighth with one out and nick threw six pitches and struck out two guys and obviously i mean he he showed emotion and and you're a guy who shows emotion like i think a, a big thing in pitching is um or in the major leagues at least is some some hitters get pissed off or or fans get pissed off when pitchers show emotion when they strike guys out. But if you could talk a little bit about if you always pitch with energy or is if there's there's times where you don't and times that you do. Yeah, um, I think looking back on this now and, and something that I should talk about is I've in the past uh, two months I've been working with a mental game coach and kind of going through these things to try to understand like my mental approach to the game. And I do best when I do actually, you know, actually talk to myself on the mound and use self-talk because um, a big thing that we talk about is having process-oriented goals. So when I'm throwing in a game, I'm if I have a dude in an 0-2 count, obviously, you know, we want to get a strike out there, but I'm not going to tell myself, strike this dude out here. I'm going to tell myself, okay, wait, if they call slider, what am I going to do to execute this slider? Because if I execute this slider the way that I want, that will result in a strikeout. He might hit the ball, but I, if I execute it the way that I wanted to, that's all that I can control. So I found that when I do best sticking to those processes and figuring out how I want to execute pitches, that's what I'm talking to myself. So if they tell me, um, if they give me a fastball glove side, I'm telling myself, put the ball through the catcher's effing kneecap because that's what's telling me to, 
I'm going to do what I want to do with it. And if I miss, but I miss to the glove side, I'm still nodding my head because like, all right, I could feel where I missed there, but it's fine. I'll bounce back and get it the next pitch. Um, so that's what I found is best for me when I'm not talking to myself and not having any form of self-talk. That's when I find that I'm complacent pitch to pitch. And that's where I'm just throwing out there, but I'm not pitching. And I think that's a big thing is as, um, as a pitcher, we're not just throwing out there. We are pitching and pitching is a form of art and you have to be attentive to what you're doing. Every detail matters. Yeah. I, Nick and I are very similar when it comes to, um, mental, mentally, um, I'd say our mindset on the mound, like I have tried both pitching with no emotion and pitching with emotion and self-talk. And I feel that I'm at my best when I am um, talking to myself and and when I do have a little bit of emotion, there's obviously it's going to be an individual thing. And like when it's great that you have a mental performance coach and that you figured out what works for you. So listening to Nick and I doesn't mean that you, whoever's listening to this is going to, have to pitch with emotion like we have guys on our team that are nasty and they don't pitch with that much emotion Wyatt Scotty being our Friday guy doesn't pitch with much emotion at least to the outside world you can't really see whether he's mad see whether he's happy he's pretty calm all the time maybe a little bit of like a a glove tap here and then when he gets a big out but definitely find something that works for you what works for us isn't going to work for you and um, pitching is very individualized when it goes mentally, physically, and, and, and everything else in between. Yeah. And, and just bouncing off that, I think something too, when you look at like Jordy and I throwing versus a guy like Wyatt, um, when Jordy and I throw, we're throwing in shorter outings. So we're throwing an inning or two. And I think that makes sense where you might want to be more high energy in those situations. You might be coming in in leverage situations and, um, you know, getting your heart heart rate up and being high energies and what what you need to compete in those situations. If you're a guy like Wyatt that's going to be throwing, you know, five to seven innings, you might want to slow things down, slow your emotions on, find a more consistent range and heartbeat so that you're functioning at that same level throughout the entire outing. Um, so it's all about what you can do to maintain and stay at that same level. It's going to be hard to stay super high emotion like we throw in a game for seven innings. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's actually something that – I didn't really think about until um, lately. I mean, I've been a starter and a reliever and going back and forth between what I do, like my mentality now probably wouldn't work when I was starting and my starting mentality for sure did not work when I was in the pen. Uh, and that's something I struggle with is is bridging that gap from starter to a reliever. We have two different mindsets and it, it's almost as if it's a different position. Um, you, you have to deal with different situations and you might only have one batter to work with and if you don't get that guy you're you're done uh can you talk a little bit about your your development of your pitches and yourself as a pitcher um what you throw how you've developed it and i mean for those who don't know nick went to tread over the summer and he's just a big um i'd call him a mechanics guy but he knows what he's talking about like i a lot of the kids on the team, including myself, go to Nick when we're, we're not feeling our best mechanically or we need something to do for arm care and something to develop. So can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, um, I definitely pride myself in just understanding how my body works and um, understanding mechanics and all that stuff. Um, I'm someone that still is far from figuring it out. I know that I, I'm, I'm you know, 6'5", 220 pounds. Um, definitely have a high ceiling and haven't reached it yet in terms of mechanics, but um, little by little, I'm getting there slowly. 
Um, a big thing for me is that I, I throw a lot of fastballs, but my fastball has a lot of cut on it, which means that I'm not, um, you know, pronating or getting true efficient spin on it. And I think for a while there was a period where I was trying to get away from cutting it. And, and sometimes I still do. Um, but I think that if, if you're a guy that throws a lot of sink or throws a lot of cut, maybe you don't have a high vert fastball, you don't necessarily need to try to change what you're doing, which is try, it's learning on to build on what you do well. So if I'm cutting the fastball, that's fine. If I can locate that to my glove side and keep it down, like that gets a lot of swing and misses. I threw a, um, a fastball again, a couple fastballs against USF that literally looked like sliders finishing down to like almost the dirt. But when I have control of that and can tunnel it off my other pitches, I'm going to find success. So it's finding what your strengths are and maximizing them. And then you can still attack your weaknesses. It's just, um, having confidence in what you do. I think that, I think that's been the biggest thing for me as a pitcher and finding my identity. Okay. Yeah. I, again, I, I think when we, when we talked about mentality too, your mechanics and your, your pitches are going to be different from everyone else. You're not going to like one of the things that I tell the kids that I'm coaching is I show them a grip, but I'm not going to tell them that that's their grip. Like it's, it's going to be individualized, whatever feels comfortable for you. And my mechanics, I mean, I'm, I'm a different frame than Nick. I'm five ten, one ninety, I'd say, and we're not going to throw the same. So if I'm trying to mirror what Nick's doing, it's probably not going to work for me. And if he's trying to mirror what I'm doing, it's probably not going to work for me. So we have to find our own unique way to be the best pitcher that we can be. We pitch differently. I, I'm more of a splitter fastball guy and I have more vertical break. Um, and, and I've had to, you know, remove my curveball and add a slider and things along those lines. So it's never going to be, um, it's never going to be easy to compare yourself to somebody else. You're going to have to find your own way to be a pitcher and you're going to have to find your own way to get the best out of yourself. So, that's pretty much all the questions I had baseball wise. I'll ask you a few about school and, and your future, but, um, as far as academics go, like what's your major and then can you, can you tell a little bit about the internships you've done? And I know that North, for those who don't know, Northeastern's a five year school and they usually offer a co-op for students so they can go get an internship and, and, still participate in baseball while they're doing it yeah so um at northeastern i'm a business major with a concentration in finance um finance has really drawn me mainly to <clears throat> um investment banking slash management mainly in like terms of equity public equity trading so like stock trading um i've done i did my first co-op at putnam investments as a market data and procurement analyst which was pretty back office work mainly like dealing with contract filing and contract organization on, be uh, on behalf of the corporation or the company um, and then my most recent co-op was with Wellington Management as an equity trade coordinator. So that was um, more middle office stuff, actually dealing with date of trade execution stuff. I really like that. That's a really social job, talking to traders at investment banks and um, dealing with management of trades on behalf of the firm. Um, that's been something that's really fascinated me. And I'm, I'm really glad that I was able to do co-ops like that while still playing baseball. Um, I think that that's what's such a unique thing about here at Northeastern is that we're able to get real work opportunities while playing baseball because you know all of us want to play pro um obviously like i would love to play in the major leagues and i'm going to do everything in my power to make that a reality but statistically it's just not going to happen for us and and, and that sucks but it's just the, the truth of the reality so i know that i can put 100 percent into baseball but still also have a, a real backup plan and work that i find fulfilling and that's what makes me proud is because i know that when people ask me who who are you while of course i am a baseball player and that's a really big thing that defines me um I, I have things outside of baseball, like actual 
work experience and professional professional things that I find uh, fulfilling and also define me outside of just being purely an athlete. And I think that that's something that, at least for me, has helped me be more confident on the baseball field. When I started off at SNHU, my identity was just a baseball player. And, of course, I want to still – like, I'm still chasing my dream and um, I want to play in the, in the major leagues. But I've had a hard time understanding the difference between having a plan B and, and not – like going all out for your dreams because sometimes you'll hear people say like, Oh, well, if you have a plan B, how are you going a hundred percent? So like, that's something that I struggle with when I was, um, um, younger and in my, my younger years in college. But recently I felt that having more of a background other than baseball and having an identity bigger than baseball has actually calmed me down and allowed me to perform better in baseball because it's not everything I'm doing. And I don't feel like, when I have a bad day on the mound, I'm nothing like exactly. not living and riding or, or riding and dying by my performance on the field. Whatever happens on the field happens on the field. I know I'm giving a hundred percent in preparation, but I also know that as a, I'm more, I'm, I'm a human, like I'm more, more well-rounded outside of baseball. And that gives me a, a bigger perspective and I know that even if I fail on on the mound I can still be a good human and contribute other ways I don't know if that yeah feel exactly I mean th- a big thing that it kind of put it all into perspective for me was we we have an alumni network for the baseball team and I, and I think that's great offering helping guys to you know get co-op opportunities and job opportunities outside of just baseball um, and one dude spoke about how when when his baseball career at Northeastern ended he had a true identity crisis just because all he had known was baseball and and I and while I, I could empathize with it, I was just, I was glad that that wasn't me because of the fact that I have, you know, I, I love my teammates, but I, I have friends that aren't just baseball players. I, I, I do things outside of baseball. I have hobbies. I have other professional interests so that I know that even on a day, if outside of the baseball field, there's things that I still want to do and know that I want to do and give me passion because while baseball is is everything to me it, it shouldn't be the only thing that i find happiness in because at some point no matter what even if you make it to the major leagues you're not going to have baseball every single day of your life you have some at some point you're going to have to retire and hang up the cleats so it's important to have other passions things outside of outside of your sport that that give you genuine fulfillment in life and while we're on the hobby topic do you want to talk about your rc cars? yeah um you know i i've been someone that some i mean I wouldn't say it's childish, but I, I've been in the uh, remote control cars for a really long time. Uh, got got really back into them again when I was late in high school. Um, they're past just the point of like the tiny toy ones that you play with as a kid. These ones that I have are, you know, pretty large. I have a, I have a, like an RC truck that's I think 13 inches long and like a foot high off the ground. Um, I have a you know one that's built like an F1 car that I've built up to a go 101 miles per hour. Um, so they're, they're pretty serious and that's something that I, I invest a lot of time and money into and it's something that's really fun for me and I, I get to I get genuine happiness out of doing that so um, you know I, I can do baseball in the morning and then go do something like that in, in the afternoon and night and that's a great day for me it's not I you know yeah yeah and I think that like whether you had a bad day on the field or again whether you have a bad or good day on the field like you can go and that's like a reset like you can go have fun with something else and you're like damn like there's more to life than baseball like I, I did what I could and whatever I did on the field that morning is what it is. Like it's, it's in the past and now I'm able to go do this and this is something that I'm really happy about and, and fulfilled about. Exactly. Yeah. 
and I guess that's that's about it. I want to talk about if you want to talk about it the the process of you transferring out next year yeah. and and your future plans after Northeastern. Yeah. So right now, just to just start it off, I'm I post grad committed to go to Georgetown. I'll be doing a master's in finance there and also playing in my sixth year of baseball. Um, the COVID-19 pandemic was kind of a, a blessing in disguise for me just because I, I did a redshirt year my freshman year just because I was a walk-on and wasn't ready to play. And then my sophomore year, we got shut down for COVID, so that gave me a sixth year of eligibility. Um, and I was able to turn that into being able to get enter the transfer portal post-grad and uh, commit there. Um, it was just, I, I went to, in the fall, we had a conversation with our coach, Coach Glavin, and he said, hey, coach, you know, I really enjoy my timer, but I think it's just, um, I want to look somewhere else just for my sixth year. And he was fully supportive of that. Me and him have a great relationship. And um, what I ultimately found out was he, even though I've reached out to Georgetown on my own, he had actually put in a word for me just because I talked about how I think I was going to reach out to them. Um, so that started a great conversation with me in Georgetown. They ended up saying that they, you know, wanted to offer me a spot, um, was recently admitted. So it's, it's all, you know, 100% squared away. Um, so I'm really excited for that. And then just looking in terms of my, my next plan. Um, so I have this, the rest of this season, um, you know, summer ball in Georgetown. And I, I am still someone that genuinely believes that I can make it professionally. So I, I'm, I, I'm still pursuing that with every degree that I want. I'm still trying to reach my goals. You know, I think that a big thing about that is just going to be logging consistent quality innings. And then also honestly, a big factor is getting my velocity at more. Cause I think that that like, while velocity is, isn't everything, it is still a metric that significantly matters to pro scouts and to be able to get opportunities. So, um, I, I'm realistically giving myself another two years where if I can get the velocity up to a range and have lot good innings, um, I'm going to see if I can get a, pro, a professional baseball opportunity, more likely a free agent signing because I'm already 23 at this point. I'll be, you know, 24 when I'm trying to be signed. And if my velocity is really at a range where I'm, you know, maybe if I'm in the mid-90s by the time I'm yeah. graduating Georgetown, if I don't get an opportunity then, I think I would still be willing to give myself another yeah. year to, you know, go maybe live down in North Carolina at Tread Athletics and throw in their pro days and train there. Um, and at that point, you know, that's when I could admit that I've given baseball every, everything that I can. If I, if I don't get the opportunity at that point, it's all right. I can hang up the cleats. And like I said, I can go um, into the finance field and find something that's still fulfilling to me. And that doesn't mean that baseball would end for me. I'm still going to be around the sport and find ways to engage with it, whether that's coaching or things like that. But um, that's kind of what I see for my next two and a half to three years right now. Yeah, I, I feel like or, or I know that I have very similar visions. And again, velocity isn't everything, but that's something I'm working on, too. I think that's a lot of a lot of the or a lot of the reason why scouts are, are kind of staying away from me is the velocity isn't where they want to see it. And I know that when I get it up there, then I'll have more of an opportunity. But same thing with you, um, giving myself as, as much of a chance as I can and just know that I've given everything and then and then move on to whatever it is um so so we're in similar situations but uh and, and coaching too like I know that you've talked about coaching and I think that <clears throat> there's a big opportunity for you there just of the knowledge that you have for the game and for the mechanics and pitching itself and, and you're still learning as all of us are so um that's that's awesome and what is the thing that you're most excited for this season? I know we're 10 games in, but what are you excited for and looking forward to seeing as the season progresses? Um, individually, I think it's just seeing my role evolve on the team. I think last year, especially at this point, I was still – I had 
gone deeper into the depth chart just because I had a, I, I had a rough start. Um, so and I, I was really excited to get put into a leverage situation, have an opportunity to close a game, and I'm hoping to continue getting opportunities like that. And then as a team, I'm just really excited about, you know, we have an amazing culture this year. This is the most I've ever seen the team united, and I think that that's going to lead to something really good. So I'm just excited to see how our team dynamic continues through the year and how, you know, ultimately our record turns out because we, we, are, we are really damn good this year. So I'm, I'm really excited to just follow that. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. The Out of my six years of college baseball, I keep saying this, but this is the most fun I've had, and I'm not even playing right now. Like the culture that we have created and the things that we have done off the field are are amazing to me, and to see the way that the team is interacting and acting together is is crazy to me. I've never seen a group of thirty two to forty guys interact and do things the way they were doing. So I'm really excited just to see the off field stuff, the little things that we do translate into the game, and see where we can go because. Uh, there, there's no limit to where we can go right now, but we, it is, it is the season is young and we got to make sure that we're sticking to the little things and sticking to what, what made us great right now. Uh, so at the end of the podcast, we always do a rapid fire question. Um, if, if you don't have answers to these, just say pass or whatever, but what's your favorite book? Favorite book. Um, I'm going to say the biography of Malcolm X. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Favorite memory from baseball, and you can add one outside of baseball if you want to. Favorite memory. I would say definitely most recently winning the conference championship for the, with the team in 2021. Um, didn't have a super active role in that year, but just being a part of a winning team is always a great great experience. And any outside of baseball that you have outside at mind right now? Um, I don't know if I have one on the top of my head right now. Uh, yeah, I, I, I sh- when I answered these myself, I had a hard time yeah, finding one. Yeah, being a mental performance guy, you might like this one too, but have you ever been in flow state and can you describe it? Yeah. Um, I think it, for me, it's hard to define a hundred percent, but I yeah. think it's just like when you're, when you're on autopilot and it's like, that's when I think I'm someone that likes to have a lot of self-talk, but sometimes when you forget to do it, but you still know that you're super detail oriented and, and thinking pitch to pitch. So yeah, auto, being on autopilot is the best way to describe it. Yeah. That's, that's how I would 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 try to word it like that's the closest that I can get to describing it is like you, you're there and you're so locked in but your brain isn't doing anything it, yeah. it, your body and your brain are like one it's like one thing and and you you don't think about doing the thing you're just doing like you just do it yeah, yeah. um what is something uncomfortable that you want to start doing in order to grow I think a big thing for me, and, and I'm and I'm still doing it now, is just like using my phone less to like m- measure myself because, and specifically that's in terms of like taking video and stuff because I've learned that sometimes I use video as a barometer of my success. So just focusing on learning how to, to like to feel more rather than like using a video to validate that I'm doing things in the right way. Okay, I like that. And what is your most value or what is your most valued non-material possession? So it could be like a a relationship or a character trait or or a mindset or something along those lines. Yeah. Um I mean honestly I would I would say just like my work ethic just because I think that yeah. my my story is somewhat unique in terms of being a walk-on and having to face some degree of adversity and I've I I consider myself pretty self-made in terms of baseball and my knowledge uh that I've built to succeed. So I'm I'm very proud of that. And that's like the value of that is I mean you can't really put 
put any like a price tag or anything on that because that can take you so much further than than anything like just baseball or not that work ethic that you have created through baseball and anything else in life can take you wherever you need to go definitely you can always have that with you something that you often forget you're grateful for Honestly, I would say it's it's just like my family and the support that they've given me because I've, I I can fully acknowledge I come from a pretty privileged background and being able to go to train at Tread Athletics and live there for a month and those type of things are something that a lot of people don't get the opportunity to do. Um, so while I know that I'm I'm self-made in terms of finding these facilities and taking in this knowledge, um, someone nothing's free and someone's supposed to fund those things and that's something that my parents and family have been so supportive of me through this process that helped me take these risks, even coming to Northeastern. Um, so yeah, and, and it's super important. Last, last one in the rapid fire round. Do you, what is the advice for your five-year-old self? Could be baseball, could be outside of baseball. Like when it really comes down to it, just be an athlete. Um, and it be, be open, be open-minded and willing to learn, always looking to find new ways to do things. Um, just cause I think that having a, a one track mind or only think there's one way to do things is what helped me back a lot of time through high school and my athletic career. Um, and discovering all these new training methodologies and things later on. I think if I had found those out earlier on in my career, probably would have put me miles ahead of where I'm at now. Great. Well, I don't have any more questions written down, but I do have one pretty easy question for you. And um, for those who don't know, and nobody would know this because unless you're on Northeastern baseball team, but Nick likes to have pre-workout Pop-Tarts. What is your favorite pop tart flavor easily uh <laughs> wild berry jordy's looking at a box that i have on my on the desk right now i bought those at walmart um big fan of pre-workout pop tarts just for the quick digesting sugar and the, the good pump it gives and obviously they taste delicious so um wild berry then i'll take strawberry second uh blueberry third those those are my top three that's fair those are all pretty good flavors all right well that's all we got today uh if you're listening definitely check out next season and and follow along with our team and i think you're gonna see some crazy things from the team and and also nick so thanks for listening see you guys later thanks already